Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Today, we're going to kind of pivot our series a little bit. If you've been with us, you know that the last several weeks in January, what we've been uh, aiming for in this series on communion is not necessarily the sacrament of communion, but a lifestyle of union with Christ. This open invitation from Jesus that he doesn't want you to do life for him. He wants you to do life with him. That Jesus wants to have this uh, ever close, ever growing relationship with him in this union, uh, this marriage that we have with him. And it's that intimate and it's that real. And so that's what we've been talking about through prayer and through fasting over the last several weeks. Uh, But today I actually do want to shift the gears a little bit to talk about the sacraments of communion. What does this mean when we come up and we approach the table of the Lord, when we take the Eucharist, when we receive communion, all these different names for it? right? And, but what does it mean and what's the significance that's found at the table? And I realized uh, this morning praying, and I was like, man, I think I could teach this perfectly today, but so many people have so many different thoughts or so many different previous beliefs or just um, like we, what we need most desperately is not right teaching on communion, but we need an encounter with the living God during communion. And so I, I would love if you would just take a moment to just pray with me real quick before we jump into this message. And uh, even if you're so willing, if you would just kind of put your hands out in front of you in a posture to receive, just saying, God, I want whatever you want for this morning. Whatever God wants to do is what we want. So Lord, we just ask that you would come and that you would move in a special and profound way. Even just as Robin's praying, just reminded that there are real battles and there are real struggles and there are um, real people in this room right now asking for breakthrough. And so we don't just ask for a clever talk this morning. We don't just ask to, to laugh at some jokes in a message this morning. God, we ask that we would encounter the living God this morning. Would we encounter you today as we come and as we um, learn about this meal that you've given us, this sacred space you've given us, God, I pray that you would meet us in it now as we uh, get ready to go into it together. Jesus, we love you, and we just pray that your Holy Spirit would come and that you'd open our eyes and our ears to see and to hear all that you have for us in this, in this time. Uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So um, like many of you, uh, we, our church just did a 21-day fasting and prayer that concluded last weekend, um, and everyone kind of picked different fasts and did different things. And one of the things that our family did uh, is we, we decided we were going to go 21 days without eating out. Without eating out. So not even like, we're not even talking Daniel uh, style Chipotle rice and beans. You know what I mean? We're just going to, we're going to do home cooked meals every single night for dinner. And uh, that was probably the biggest sacrifice of the whole 21 days for our kids. Because Harrison, like, I don't know if you've seen him. He's like getting tall and skinnier every day. And we're trying to get more on him and it just can't happen. You know, part of it's because he's such a picky eater. Like he just wants to eat Domino's and Buffalo Wild Wings every single day of his life. Um, and he'd be a pretty happy dude if we did that. I really think so. But we, uh. I don't know that we've ever gone 21 days um, cooking at home in a row. Like that was a feat for us. But what we were, what we were doing was we were trying to endeavor to, to have 21 days in a row of sitting down as a family and eating together, right? Because that's a really intimate and beautiful time as a family where I don't know if there's anything that we do all together that is that intimate than just sitting down, eating, hearing about each other's day, listening to what's going on in our kids' lives and sitting down and just talking and being with one another, um, you know, 
I, I, I make no apologies about how much I love food. I know I talk about it all the time. And I know like um, it comes up in just about every sermon, how much I love Vato's tacos. You know, it's like, it's a standing joke with some of my friends. It's like, when, when's the joke about Vato's coming up? And I'm like, listen, I could, I could talk about tacos every time uh, I preach. And I think I could really fit it contextually into whatever I'm teaching on because I think the goodness of God is super evident in any kind of taco that you ever want to eat. That's not like, unapologetically, I just, I love food and I love to eat. I love the experience of eating. And, and the little sidebar here would be um, that, man, one of the things that we long to see is this church being a church, not just with small groups, but being a church of small groups where every single person doesn't just attend church on Sunday, but maybe even they would define their church experience uh, in a greater way with what happens around a table with some other believers, three, five couples sitting around a table, maybe cooking together, eating together. Maybe, maybe you're not at the stage of life where you're going to cook a meal together, but you're going to, you know, just everyone get some chicken nuggets and get over here and we'll just sit down and eat them together. You know, um, I just, I think that that kind of space is a space where we are really formed and shaped as believers. And, and the reason I bring all that up is because as we approach the topic of communion, it's evident all throughout scripture that God has long formed his people over a meal around a meal, at a table. Um, there's this imagery that runs really throughout scripture all the way back to the Passover being given. Um, you see that even in, in Psalm 23, that you've prepared a table for me, God, in the presence of my enemies. And then you get all the way to the Lord's Supper, which we'll talk about today um, at length. But then even as the, the next age to come, as the new heavens and new earth are made and remade, um, what we're going to do is we're going to sit down first and there's going to be a wedding supper of the lamb. And there's going to be this feast that inaugurates this next age to come. And so the people of God, this is why I'm not apologetic for loving food, is because the people of God have long been shaped by the intimate time at a meal, at a meal. And there, I don't think there's any greater meal that we have in this present time that you and I are living in than communion. And I never, I never had it explained to me that way as a kid. I, I grew up going to Christmas and Easter Catholic masses. Any other just like Catholic kids in the room? It's okay. Raise your hand. Yeah, awesome. Uh, l listen, there's a lot of things that you maybe want to pick on about growing up Catholic, uh, but one thing they get well, they value communion. They have a deep appreciation for communion. I think we can learn some things about the approach and the mentality towards communion because it's not just some ritual that they do religiously, but it's this beautiful, intimate encounter with Jesus uh, every time. The invitation is there for us to encounter our God who's still alive. And so today what I want to break down for us is... Um, a, a multi-dimensional way, I think, to look at communion and specifically maybe put some context around what are we doing when we're taking this meal? When we're coming and we're grabbing these elements and we're grabbing, uh, you know, the little thing of juice and the little piece of bread, where, where is it that our mind is going? Because I think Jesus outlines for us some really clear ways where um, it's not just in one place. He's having us think backwards at what he has done. We're doing this in remembrance of him is what we're going to read in just a sec. But he's also doing it in a way where he's casting our mind uh, to something that's going to happen in the future. He's casting our mind forward to say, I'm not going to do this again until the kingdom has come. And then, and then he's also saying, but I've also, but I've also eagerly desired to eat this meal with you right now. So there's this past, future, and present reality to communion that we can get lost into, I think, in a way that would really benefit us as a people. And so let's open up to Luke chapter 22, and we're going to start reading in verse 7. Uh, Luke 22, verse 7. The heading for uh, the next section that we're going to go into is, uh, is called the institution of the Lord's Supper. 
So if you have a Bible, you can open it up. You can open on the YouVersion app if you want to. You can follow along on the screen. Luke 22, starting in verse 7. Uh, then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepare it there. And they went and they found it just as Jesus had told them and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table, for the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be, who was the greatest, who was going to do this. Um, and then, you know, if you keep reading, they just naturally, after this kind of profound moment of Jesus breaking bread and, and giving them this great clear picture of, of what this meal is to mean, uh, they start arguing about who's more awesome. <laughs> Right? You just got to love that. A bunch of a group of guys at a table, they're like, yeah, okay, cool, Jesus. Uh, hey, who, which, of one, which one of us is the greatest, you know? Oh, well, uh, they maybe missed a little bit of a moment here, you know? Um, but I, I want to draw attention, like I said, to, to the different ways that we experience or encounter God as we receive communion. And I hope this is just really practical for us today, that every time we take communion, my hope is, is that we can have our, have our lenses broadened a bit as to what is going on and how we can pray and how we can look and how we can receive in the moment that we find ourselves in when we take communion. So uh, the first that way that we see that we experience God in communion most clearly is, is by remembering him, the power of memory. Um, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Paul echoes that when he's talking about uh, communion to, to the Corinthian church. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, we're going to do this just like Christ said, in remembrance of what God has done. Now, here's the really healthy thing about remembering what Christ has done. Um, you don't have a lot of spaces in your life. I don't have a lot of spaces in my life where we are reminded that we're not that awesome. My guess is you have actually a lot of spaces in your life that are constantly reminding you, whether it's the, the way that people market towards you, uh, whether it's the way that people console you, your friends kind of console you, like you are constantly being bombarded with in the culture that we're living in, in this age of like, if, of positive psychology, uh, which I'll say like all cards on the table. I think there are a lot of really good, helpful, valuable things in this movement. And at the same time, I don't think we always, always, always need to remind it, be reminded of our awesomeness. Uh, you think about how, how we're having teachers teach kids at this point where they're no longer able, they have to remove all the negative language towards their learning. And so you can't tell a kid that they're failing, even if they are. 
You can't tell a kid when they're missing. I mean, you think about parenting in this way, where, where there's so much like positive reinforcement pr- parenting, where, where you know this kid misbehaves and they do something crazy, do something shady, and you're supposed to just kind of redirect them, or you're supposed to just kind of sit them in a chair and have them think about what they did. And like, man, uh, like that's just not the way I was raised. You know what I mean? Like, like the hammer was laid when I did something wrong. And I, I'm thankful for that, you know? Like, I'm thankful that my mom was stronger than me up until like my senior year of high school. <laughs> Just admitting it before you all, like she'd put the beat down on me if she needed to, right? My dad would not tolerate things. Like I just, there are, like I said, there are elements to this movement that we're in right now where everything's about you and your self-esteem and how well you see yourself. And, and the truth is, is the answer to how you see yourself is not seeing yourself for how strong and how awesome you are. The answer for you having a, a, an actually a good, healthy, right self-esteem is knowing that you have really failed in some areas, but Christ, where you have been weak, he is now made strong, right? And so I, I'm, not, I'm not here to knock all of it. I'm just saying that like our culture at large does not create a lot of spaces for you to be reminded of where you've messed up. And even in the way that we interact with friends and stuff like that, we're just not looking for all these pockets for people to weigh in critically as to what we're not doing well. But communion is this open invitation to remember not just that Christ broke his body for us, but why he had to do that. He had to do that because you and I each have sin in our lives and that sin required a payment. And and because of our sin, Jesus had to have a crown of thorns pressed into his skull. He had to have the skin of his back ripped off with a whip. He had to carry a cross up that hill. He had to have that cross nailed into his hands and into his feet as he was hung up to die. He was murdered because of the the punishment of sin. And so as we take communion, I bring that up to remind us that we should be taking our sin seriously. Each of us carried in here with us every single week. We have things that we maybe haven't repented for, things that we're tolerating and being comfortable living in. And the communion table is this reminder that, man, I, I had to have Christ do that so that I could have a relationship with him. Now, it's also important. We don't, we don't just remember how bad our sin was. We also remember how strong his love was that compelled him to go to the cross, right? So we don't just dwell in and get stuck in, oh my gosh, I just feel so bad about how awful this sin is. No, we're reminded that we are more than conquerors in Christ because he loved us so much that he spilled his blood and broke his body on our behalf so that we could have this right reconciled relationship with him. He wasn't wasn't sent and condemned to the cross uh, because of any other human effort other than his own volition of love. Like he was moved and compelled by love to go to the cross so that he could have relationship with you and me. And so we, gotta, we have to remember both. We're not just struck with guilt and shame because of the cross. We're also hopefully stirred up in gratitude and worship and adoration because Jesus still loves us that much. And if he had to go back and had to make that choice a million other times, he would still consistently choose us. He would still consistently choose you. So as we remember, we have this power of memory. We're reminded of what? The, the gospel. We're reminded that, man, my sin had a cost. It wasn't free for Jesus. I now have a free gift because of Jesus to receive what he's done for me. But man, it cost him something. And so I'm going to pursue holiness as best I can. I'm going to endeavor to live my life marked by by the righteousness that God is inviting me to live into. And I'm also going to have a life that is marked by worship because I'm so grateful that he made that choice to save me 
and that he loves me and he doesn't just love me to forgive me. He, he loves me enough to equip me and to gift me and to give me purpose and mission and value while I'm living on this earth right now until he comes again. I have things to do. He's putting good things inside of me so that I can keep on pressing into all that he is. So we have the power of memory that's available in communion. And as we come and as we take the actual physical elements, we're reminded, man, Christ broke himself for me and he spilled out his blood. And I'm under a new covenant now of his grace. Well, I'm, I'm now ushered into this new age where I get to hopefully live into the identity that he's given me. We don't just have the power of memory though, where we look back, we also have the power of hope. We have the power of hope. Jesus does this where he, he casts he cast the disciples' mind forward to something that's going to happen. But then Paul, when he's talking about communion, echoes back to this as well. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 26, he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. When? Until he comes. So first of all, like the church is just going to keep on doing this until the Lord comes back. But also what we can see is that as we receive communion, we should be thinking about that day, not just this day. So just if you need reminded, Revelation chapter 19, there's this, there's this um, event that happens um, that is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. But it's this really cool moment in the book of Revelation. Um, I always like the way that Kent kind of broke down Revelation because we can have all sorts of different ideas on how to interpret or read this mysterious book. And we can have all sorts of different wild thoughts about Revelation. It's certainly a wild book. But at the end of the day, it's um, life is hard. God is good. Don't quit because we win. I know a lot of you've never heard that before, but that's like, man, that's revelation in a nutshell, regardless of your eschatological persuasion, right? That's how it's going to go down. Because in this moment, um, we, oh, let's just read it here. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come. The marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Who's the lamb? Jesus. Who's the bride? The church, you and me. And, and how did the bride make herself ready? Well, it says here, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. So not only are we given the imagery and the picture of, of what Christ has done for us with bread and with juice, but we also have this picture that um, our righteousness are really just like filthy rags, like these, these terribly dread, like something you would never wear as a bride to a wedding, right? Um, and what Jesus does is he doesn't ask for us to bring our own righteousness, but instead he offers us the clothing that qualifies us to come to the wedding feast. He says, put this on. The, the choice really is, do you want to change? Do you want to continue to pursue your own life where you just continue to wear your own um, rags that you've put on yourself? Or do you want to put on the righteousness of Christ? This is the offer for everyone. It says, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that because I'm, you know, I'm not him. I'm just an angel. And then, and then what happens is we see this great battle is about to break out between all the armies that are opposing God. And, and it's like this break, this awesome showdown's about to happen. And what happens? Jesus just shows up and he's like, no, we're not doing this. And they're just cast down in the lake of fire, right? And it's just, it's this big battle, non-battle thing that goes down. And what we have that inaugurates this age then, because in Revelation after that, it shifts. We're no longer talking about sin and shame and punishment, but we're talking about new heavens and new earth all things remade and restored. And that moment, the marriage supper of the lamb, 
is supposed to be this thing that we are thinking of as we're receiving communion, knowing it's not the last meal we're going to take with Jesus. And we think forward to a time where there's, there isn't going to be any more sickness. There isn't going to be any more pain, no more suffering, no more death, no more disease. Like we just are longing for this day where there's no anxiety, no shame. Um, even, even like the hope that we have in this present age, uh, hear this, it's, our hope is finite. Like our hope is limited to the time that we're living in now. Hope, what it means is we're longing for a day or we have a desire for something that's going to happen that isn't happening yet. So your hope isn't going to last for forever because one day you're not going to have to hope for that day to come. You're going to live in that day for forever. So, so hope is something that is given. We have this power of hope given in our moments of communion where we get to bring into the scope of eternity all the problems and burdens that we carry with us today. It's one of the things that I love about following after Jesus is he has a vision for where I'm going to go, but he doesn't neglect where I really am. So he, he sees all the things that I'm going through right now and the things that you're going through right now, they're not insignificant and they're not unimportant to God. And they're also not the ultimate version of the reality that you're going to live in for the next thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So, so what I'm trying to say is that like, you might be really anxious about how you're going to pay that bill, but you're not going to be thinking about that 10,000 years from now. You might, you might really be longing to see this thing happen in the day that we're living in. And God sees that and it's not unimportant to him. And you can cry out and you can ask for breakthrough because he doesn't expect you to go somewhere that you're not. He meets you where you are and he says, hey, but we're also going somewhere where this isn't going to be a problem anymore. And so as we receive these elements, as we take these things, we're doing this until that day comes going, God, I want to, I want to bring the circumstances of my present life under the full weight and the full scope of eternity so that I then have the right perspective about what I'm really focusing on. I want to live in light of that day, not let this day and this circumstances define all the things that I'm thinking and all the things that I'm doing. Does that make sense? And so we're pressing on having hope for a day to come. And that's what we're receiving in communion as well. But, but probably the most significant aspect to communion is not, is not the God who did something back then or the God who will do something someday, but it's the God who's available right now, right now. Um, he's not the great I was. He's not the great I'm going to be. He's the great I am, as in in this present moment. Like, I, you know, it's always kind of jacked with my brain that you read in Revelation as you're like, God is describing himself. I'm the alpha and the omega, the one who is and who was and who is to come. And my linear brain is like, oh, that, it's not how it goes. Like it should be was and is and is to come, Right. Like that's how we all are moving through this thing called time is through the history, the present into the future. But God doesn't describe himself that way. He says, I'm the one who is and who was and is to come in order to put more emphasis on the fact that the most important thing about God is he's the God who is right now. In the future, he will be the great I am. In the past, he was to Abraham, the great I am and to Moses, the great I am. And for us today, he is the great I am in the present moving, healing, restoring, reconciling right now. And so as we come to the communion table, we're asking God, I really need you in this moment here and now, here and now. Paul, when he's kind of setting up his communion thought for 1 Corinthians chapter 11. What comes before that, obviously, and most naturally, is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, 
In verse 16, he says this, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Paul's using this word participation. I think it's like a little skewed for us today because we think of like a participation trophy. You know what I mean? Like, like Harrison's playing uh, second and third grade basketball right now. And at the end, I think they'll probably all get some sort of participation award. Maybe they've even done away with that at this point. You know what I mean? They, like I'm just, but I think he'll get a participation award, which is funny because like some kids, some kids are, are non-contributors to his team. I mean that in the most loving way possible. You know what I mean? Like some kids just, uh, God bless them. I want to help them. And I'm, love, I'm sitting there loving on them, rooting on them, but they just don't even know how to dribble yet. You know? But like, so we think of participation as in like, I can do nothing, but still receive the award, the trophy, you know? But that's, that's not at all what this word means. This, this word is this invitation into fellowship. It's really this invitation into intimacy. It's really, it's really close to, and even translated in some different ways uh, into this aspect of marital intimacy. Where it's this idea of, of God wants to participate with you. He wants to intermingle with you. He wants to be with you, abide with you, uh, fellowship with you as you receive communion. Not in some future way, not in some way where we just remember, but in a way that's active and living right now. And, and I love Jesus echoes this when he's sitting down with his disciples. And I love that he's reclining at the table. Like he's not, it doesn't feel like he's in a hurry to get somewhere, but he's reclining at the table. And he says to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So Jesus is in the midst of his betrayer. He's on the horizon of suffering. And he says, listen, but I, I have earnestly desired to sit with you in this moment. And that's what you should hear right now as you come to the communion table is that God has eager, he's been waiting for you all week to get to this moment. And, and I know you got stuff going on in your life and, and I'm just asking you, bring that stuff to the communion table and ask that God would encounter you, not in spite of all that stuff, but would he be involved in that stuff? I don't know what it is that you're going through, but there's, like, there's marriage issues, there's relational tension, there's, there's prodigals, there's, um, I mean, there's, there's sin that you're just tangled up in, there's, there's you feeling inadequate or insufficient, uh, maybe you're having a battle with your health, I don't know what it is, but you're not supposed to leave it in your seat and then approach communion like everything's okay. You're supposed to bring it to the communion table and take these elements and go, Christ, I need you to be more present in this moment than any of those problems right now and you want to bring that to the table, bring it to the Lord, I promise you, he can handle it. He has been earnestly desiring to have this meal with you all week. You guys can come on up. We're going to grab the communion elements in just a moment here. And um, what I want us to do is kind of everyone grab communion, but then we're going to actually wait to take it. So everyone, there's tables up here, tables in the back. In just a minute, I'm going to tell you to grab them. And I want you to snag your stuff, sit in your seat. And then I want you to, I want you to think of, I want you to think of God through these three different lenses. The God that we remember, the God we hope for, and the God that we can encounter right now. Um, and as you do that, I just want to remind you that all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. And so here's, here's just quick, quickly through some promises. He is sufficient. He is sufficient. Whatever it is that you think is going to finally satisfy the deepest desires of your heart, um, they're only going to leave you feeling hollow and probably more filled with shame. But Christ promises to satisfy the deepest parts of who you are. Forgive all your sins. So even if you have things that you did this week that you're ashamed of, the promise of God is to forgive you of everything that you've done, past, present, future sins. He's forgiven you. 
You are adorned in the righteousness of Christ, not right now, not your own righteousness, one that's a gift from him. He promises to transform us and to change us. So, so Jesus is the author and the perfecter of your faith. In other words, he started writing the story and he's going to keep writing the story. And he who began a good work in you is going to be faithful to complete it. And so keep pressing. Maybe you're not where you want to be yet, but you're not who you used to be. Keep pressing into who God is calling you to be. Keep on following after him. He's the God of the harvest. Some of you are waiting for that prodigal to come home. Pray that they would come. Pray that that coworker would come. He's the God of the harvest. He's after them more than you're after them. He's the God. He's the father to the prodigal. He is our healer. In Isaiah, we read, by his stripes, we have been healed. We can ask for healing. We can ask for breakthrough. He is our redeemer. He's taking the junk in your life and he's working it together for good somehow. You may, you may not see that until glory, but he's doing it, I promise you. And so let's come, let's grab these elements and let's think through those different tenses of who God is. And then we're gonna, don't take the elements yet. We'll kind of all receive them together and we'll sing one last song together. So come and grab them. There's tables here, tables in the back and tables up top. Make sure when you snag them, there are two cups, uh, juice and bread, two cups in a stack. Grab both of them at the same time. I think back to when I was uh, a kid going to Catholic church and I, I always felt really awkward because I couldn't take communion there. And um, I look back on that now, and I'm actually, I'm actually really grateful um, because I think that's a pretty clear command in scripture that um, this is for people. Uh, it's a sacred moment to take communion. And it's for people who are remembering what Christ has done for them, hoping what Christ will do for them. And they're asking for an encounter with the living Jesus, who is their Lord and Savior right now. And so I I want to be really careful how I say this because um, I think there's always an invitation. But if you haven't made that decision yet for Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, um, even if you grabbed the elements just now, I just want to lovingly say this moment's not quite yet for you. And, and I say that expressing that it is my deepest desire that one day you will receive this moment for all that it is personally. But, but we read really clearly in scripture and it makes sense, right? Because what we're doing is we're remembering that moment when, when our salvation was sealed because of the sacrifice that Christ made for us. And we're anticipating what he's gonna do and we're, and we're asking for our savior to continue to work in our life right now. And so I just wanna make that clear, but I also wanna make it clear, um, man, if, if you're not there yet as someone who's following after Jesus and you're saying, yes, Jesus, you're my Lord, you're my savior. Um, I wanna invite you into every bit of our church. Um, I want to say just, man, uh, keep coming. I love that you're here. Uh, come, join in a group, ask your questions, bring your doubt, bring your, bring your, un, like your, your not belief yet, like bring your, bring your hard parts of your story. Um, but this, this spot right here is a sacred moment where we reflect and remember what Christ, who Christ is to us personally right now. I want to say, we're going to sing a song after we receive this together. And I would just ask if like our prayer team elders, if you guys wouldn't mind just kind of standing like you did first service in these corners. And if you want to, um, if you want to make that this like today, your moment where you say, no, I'm, I'm surrendering uh, to Jesus. I want, I want his vision for my life. I want to start following after that. And I want to start submitting to him and going after him. Um, then man, come talk to these people. They're my friends and they are wonderful people who would love to talk you through that. Um, but for now, um, this is, this is for the people who've already made that decision, you know? So let's stand and I want to receive it together. Um, so if you would, if you just kind of take the bread and we go, God, just, we thank you 
for your broken body on our behalf. God, as we take this, we, we receive you. We ask that you would continue to heal and restore and work in our life. And we thank you for the sacrifice that you made for our sin. And we receive your body now. And as we take this juice, it's just juice. It's just juice. But it's, it's more than that in this moment because we're, we are... We are embracing your covenant that you've made with us by your blood. And we're remembering um, the sacrifice that you made, the blood that you spilled, so that we could have this moment. God, we recognize that, that it is your blood alone that, that cleanses us. And though our sins are like scarlet, you have made us white as snow by your blood. And so we receive you now as we take the juice. love you so much and we're grateful for who you are and what you've done what you will do and what you're doing right now we love you lord and it's in your name we pray amen